Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're going to fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're going to stand, we stand as giants. If we're going to walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. It's Monday. It's Monday after the Super Bowl, so I feel like there's a lot of people who are a little, uh, you know, maybe late getting up today. So, good morning. Good morning. It is um, it is one of those times in the United States of America in particular, but increasingly around the world, where people actually get together and do something together and break bread together. And so... Um, even if you didn't watch the Super Bowl last night, many, many people who you're going to encounter today, they did watch the Super Bowl and half of them are disappointed. So we're going to talk about disappointment and how to deal with our disappointment in a moment with our friend, Dr. Linda Mental. But I have a little cleanup to do, um, uh, a little cleanup to do on uh, on aisle, I guess it's aisle seven since it's 7 a.m. Uh, here in the central time zone. So uh, this is clean up on aisle seven. It's left over. I ran out of time. Um, during the first hour. And it was talking about, I was talking about, or I wanted to talk about, the ads during the Super Bowl. And I only have uh, really a a few ads to talk about here. The one I'm going to focus on is the State Farm ad featuring Arnold Schwarzenegger, who cannot pronounce an R at the end of a word. And so in the spirit of making fun of himself, he takes a role as a State Farm agent. Well, how is he going to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there when he can't when he can't enunciate the letter R at the end of a word. So, you know, the director in every one of these ads is hearing neighbor, 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 instead of neighbor, paper, labor, good neighbor, chopper, concealer, backstabber. All of these words are used during the ad that Arnold Schwarzenegger cannot accurately pronounce. Neighbor, neighbor. There's even a sheep joke in the middle of it. Uh, there's sheep and he says neighbor. And then he looks at the sheep and he says, that was the sheep and you know it. Um, there's a flashback scene. If you actually watch this ad on YouTube, uh, at the very end, there's a flashback scene and they're standing. He's standing with his recruiting class of other, you know, State Farm agents in their logoed red shirts. And they've got their right hand raised into the air and they're making a pledge. I promise to be a good neighbor. Yeah, I thought this was a good opportunity for you and I on the day after the Super Bowl to talk about an ad and then to talk about Jesus. Jesus was once asked about being a good neighbor, and he told the parable of the Good Samaritan. So have you pledged in the name of Jesus to be a good neighbor? Sheep say, bah. So you can go with good neighbor today? as a sheep of the good shepherd, demonstrating love to our neighbors. A couple of other ads. Um, If I were to give out awards for ads that were worthy last night, um, the Kia ad with the little girl ice skating, 
um, definitely tops the list um, of ads that I appreciated. And yes, with you, uh, for those of you who've been raising some questions about the He Gets Us ads that you saw last night during the Super Bowl and how those made you feel, um, my encouragement would be this. <clears throat> Rewatch those ads, those He Gets Us ads. Remember, this is a, 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 I mean, I don't even know how many tens of millions of dollars Christians are spending on this ad campaign, but it's a lot. And um, um, and the and the goal is to communicate that Jesus is not who the world has come to believe that he is and that and that Christians the, the Jesus people were not haters and that the message of Jesus is not one about hate but it's about love. So he gets us is the ad campaign. Um a lot of folks raising question about what they saw and how they experienced what they saw um last night in those ads. And so I would encourage you to watch them. And then go read the footwashing passage in the Gospel of John and remind yourself what Jesus said when he washed the disciples' feet on the night that he was betrayed at the Last Supper. Um, and then consider what that means in the world today. Whose feet are we washing? And are we doing it in the spirit of Jesus? It's good questions, and they're provocative, and they're worthy of asking. Um, so that's it. Those are my uh, those are my ad notes from yesterday's Super Bowl. I have lots of commentary on the subject of love this week, so I would like to count the ways that God loves us. Um, but I don't want to miss um, any. I don't even want to miss a minute with Dr. Linda Mental. So I think I'm going to save my commentary about counting all the ways God loves us. I'm going to save that for tomorrow. So let me leave you with this thought. How does God love you? How? How does God love you? And could you spend today counting the ways? How does God love you? Spend today counting the ways. Um, yes, the Super Bowl did score a ratings touchdown last night. For those of you um, who are getting your news right here today and nowhere else, the Kansas City Chiefs beat the San Francisco 49ers 25-22, to but they had to go in overtime to do it. Um, and yes, for those of you wondering, Taylor Swift did perform a live concert in Japan on the same day, got on a plane, and was at the Super Bowl in Las Vegas in time for kickoff. Um, I would say the Swifties out there who watched the Super Bowl just to see Taylor we're disappointed the entire first half because they only panned to Taylor Swift when Travis Kelsey does something impressive and he basically did nothing the whole first half. But it was the Chiefs who ultimately prevailed. Um, the other thing that I noted during the game, a lot of people praying. You can actually tell that people are praying in the stands. So half of them are praying for the San Francisco 49ers. Half of them are praying um, for the Kansas City Chiefs. And well, today, half of them are disappointed. Dr. Linda Mendel is going to join us next to help us handle our disappointments. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All right. Are you disappointed? Are you disappointed that the Chiefs beat the Niners? Are you disappointed that it looks like you're going to be spending Valentine's Day alone? Are you disappointed in a grade that you've recently received? Are you disappointed in a commitment to yourself or to God that you recently broke? Yeah, we're going to learn how to handle our disappointment. Dr. Linda Mental is here. You can find her at drlindamental.com and on the Dr. Linda Mental show here on Faith Radio. Good morning, Linda. Good morning, Neba. Neba. Like a good <laughs> neighbor. Catch on. <laughs> totally. 
and we're gonna and we're gonna be sheep and we're gonna be proud of it. Ah, That's right. Yeah. Well, I'm German too, so I can actually do that with some conviction and say it okay. that way. Although I don't speak German fluently at all. <laughs> oh, who knows? Neighbor, who knows? That's right. Yeah. That's right. It's great. It's funny. Um, disappointment. <clears throat> um, yeah. disappointment. Wow, it comes around a lot. So maybe maybe start with the kinds of. What, what like what do we feel like how how do I recognize that disappointment is disappointment like let's start there and then talk with us about how to handle it. So there, I think there are many different levels of disappointment. So uh, like you said, Carmen, a lot of people were disappointed last night about the game, but you know me sitting there watching it from television and and I'm a regular Chiefs viewer because of where I live and we get the games often, so we've become very familiar with the team, but. You know, I also liked Brock Purdy, so I was kind of, I really didn't care on the Super Bowl, the outcome. I would have been okay either way um, because none of my teams were in it. But those people that were in the stands who spent thousands of dollars on tickets hoping their team would make it probably had more disappointment than I did at the outcome of the game if their team didn't win. But I think that's, you know, true in life. There are things that we can we can go, okay, that was disappointed. We feel sad. We We don't like the outcome. Um, but then there are other things where we really, really wanted something or thought we should um, be moving a direction in our life or thought that maybe by now something would happen and it doesn't happen. And I think those disappointments are obviously a lot harder to handle because you you expect or you have an outcome that you really, really want. And so there is a level of sadness about that. So when we're we're talking about how do I handle a disappointment, I think you first have to just acknowledge that it happened and that you're sad and that you feel kind of down and maybe discouraged. Um, there is a there is a term we use in in psychology called um it's more of a it's more of a disillusioned with life and feeling like um what's the point? There's no meaning, nothing is going my way, nothing is happening. Um, it's a sort of a demoralization kind of feel. That's a severe type of disappointment when you feel like nothing is working in your life, nothing is happening. And it's it's different than depression, um, but it's a little bit similar in that you've sort of developed this learned helplessness that doesn't matter what I do, doesn't seem to affect the outcome. And, you know, I'm just down on life. Now, that's the the, law, the far end of the spectrum. But identifying that, identifying what am I disappointed over, what's the trigger of this, what's, what's really, really getting me down is the first step. And when you do that, it's really important to ask, is this something I can change? I mean, do I just have to sit and live with it or do, is there something I can do to move forward? Some, can I learn from my disappointment? Can I figure out a way to move forward with this? Or I think sometimes in the spiritual life, we just have to say that maybe that wasn't the timing for me or that wasn't God's best for me at this time. And we just have to trust and have faith that um, the disappointment, how however much it might hurt at the moment you know, God's got our entire life in his hand and he orders our steps. And so at times we we move through disappointment and we I think we really have to say, okay, God, um, you understand you haven't left me. This is maybe, you know, part of what I have to live with, but something good's going to come out of this. All right. So we're going to work to identify the source of our disappointment. Um, I'm going to ask, like, is this something that I can change or is this something that's out of my control? Because the step I take from there um, is going to be different, right? If it's something that I can change, right. then 
um, then that's uh, that's empowering. And it's not disempowering if it's something out of my control. It just means I'm going to process and handle it differently because I right. clearly need to put right. that squarely in God's um, in God's hands. Talk with me about this next step, <clears throat> which is processing emotions. Um, because disappointment, it's not like disappointment just arrives as like this standalone feeling. It comes with a lot of other feelings as well. Yeah, I think a lot of times people do feel sad, um, but there are the big one that you hear, I hear about a lot in therapy is the regret. You know, I was disappointed. And usually that comes at the heels of there are things I could have done to avoid that, or I could have behaved differently at the moment and, you know, had a different outcome. But it doesn't, it doesn't do us a whole lot of good to sit on regret and kind of ruminate, which just means thinking about it over and over and over and continuing to focus on that disappointment. Again, it's, it's, it's a little bit of what I said where you just need to say, okay, you know, I've learned from this. Um, I need to process the fact that I could have done things differently and I'm going to move on. So, so much of when we're dealing with emotions is simply regulating those emotions, acknowledging them, feeling them for a period of time, and then moving through those emotions, uh, managing them and moving on to the next thing. So um, a lot of times with strong emotions, we have to learn to do that and not just sit on them, ruminate on them and hold on to them to the point where it's paralyzing us. I think relationships are um, a huge part of this conversation. I think that when someone is disappointed and they're sitting by themselves in their own sadness and maybe regret, then anger and resentment tend to grow. And then they, the root of bitterness and takes, you know, takes advantage and, um, and things just spiral in a really negative direction. Talk with us about the importance of building um, relationships, particularly relationships with people who are trustworthy um, and kind of building our own muscles in terms of uh, community and support, because we live in a world where we're going to be disappointed. Right. And it happens on a regular basis. And I, I was just talking to a, a young woman this week where she was very disappointed in things that were happening in her job and you know, very discouraged and, and saying, it's not what I thought it was going to be. And this is, this is, I don't, I don't have a healthy boss and I'm not sure what to do about all of this. And, you know, it's, it's difficult when you work or you live in a, in a family or you live in a church or you go to a church where you feel like I can't trust the people around me. I, I don't, you know, I don't know how to build community with people who I can't trust because trust is foundational in all relationships that we have. So it is important to say, okay, who in my life, when I feel disappointed, can I go to? Can I talk it through? Can I process? Can I prayer? Can I pray with? And uh, build those healthy relationships, those people around you. Maybe it isn't your family because maybe you have a lot of dysfunction in your family. Uh, maybe it is because you have a, a you have good, healthy people that will pray with you and empower you and and um, encourage you in the Lord. But you can always encourage yourself in the Lord too. David did that regularly when he got down. So part of it is the, uh, you know, taking your own mind and, uh, you know, putting on the mind of Christ, but then also building those relationships and building a community. So, you know, this one, this young woman reached out to me and I prayed with her. And, you know, I also, I also encouraged her and said, look, you have authority. The Holy Spirit lives in you. No matter what's going on, you have authority to put that under your feet and say, okay, God, with you, I can do all things. And I, uh, you're going to help me with your Holy Spirit in me. You're going to help me just deal with these difficult people 
And um, we prayed that she would be a light among all the people that she was dealing with at that very uh, toxic work environment. So I think part of it is, you know, finding those people in your life that can say, okay, let's do a reset. Let's get your mind back focused on what the scripture says, because it's it's just so easy, Carmen, in our culture to be let down so many times and to be disappointed by people and then to just get in this kind of, you know, just this emotion of, oh, poor, pitiful me and, you know, nothing ever works right in my life and things are so bad. And I think we just have to really resist that because we're children of God. We have the power of the Holy Spirit in us. You know, we can have joy and peace in the middle of craziness. And so we just have to remind ourselves of who we are during those times and find that community, which is why you know I'm such a big um, proponent of going to a church and building Mm -hmm. good relationships in a church and also building Christian friends because we need other people to do what uh, they did for Moses, which is, you know, hold up his arms and uh, be there to to encourage and to support and to um, keep us going in this this fight that we have in life where we're dealing with a lot of difficult things. The other thing a Christian friend um, is going to, uh, to be for you is a truth teller. Um, and so uh, we're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Linda Mental about... Um, how we handle disappointment. Uh, And I remember a Christian friend saying once, are you a sheep? Like, are you a follower of Jesus? And I kind of furrowed my brow and said, yes. And she said, then why are you wallowing like a pig? Sometimes we need Christian brothers and sisters to speak truth because disappointment, particularly when expressed toward God, not exactly faithful. So we're going to talk about refusing to pick up offenses and resist wallowing like pigs when in fact we are sheep of a very good shepherd. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. 150 million people, 150 million people actively use one particular app every month in the United States of America. I want that to be the Faith Radio app. How about you? If you're wondering how you could be encouraged in your faith at any time, anywhere, well, I got good news for you. There's literally an app for that. You can listen to Faith Radio live Any show on demand, no matter where you are at any time of the day or night, download the free Faith Radio app right now. It's super easy. Just text the word app to 877-933-2484 and click the link. Let's connect faith to life. Talking with Dr. Linda Mental about disappointment and how we handle disappointment. So, Are you disappointed today? Are you disappointed in someone? Are you disappointed in yourself? Are you disappointed with God? Um, Linda, talk with us about the the call to stop complaining about what didn't happen um, or the temptation to dwell on the ways that we were wronged. Um, Refusing to pick up offenses is one way of thinking of this. Um, My friend described it as, you know, developing a resistance to wallowing um, because we are not pigs, we are sheep. Yeah, that's a really, it's a really great uh, way to think about it in terms of our role when we respond to things that disappoint us. I think, you know, I think one of the the biggest um, differences in the life of a Christian is this idea that you brought up about offense. That we do hear things that are very disappointing 
constantly, not only about Christianity in general, but just pointed at us in our daily walk because of the the stances that we take or the way we believe. Um, And then we don't have, we don't live a charmed life. It's not like because you become a Christian, suddenly everything just goes great and everyone around you treats you well. And, you know, it's this, this blissful life. That's not the way it works um, on this side of heaven. So we, we really do have to figure out, you know, what does the Bible say about all this? And there's, they're very convicting verses about don't complain, don't gossip, don't take offense, you know, forgive people liberally, make sure that you're, you know, you go to people when you have conflict and try to resolve those things. But I think one of the really difficult things when people are dealing with disappointment, and I had a seven-year period where I really had to deal with disappointment when I was uh, dealing with infertility and until um, I eventually arrived with two children. But it was such a long journey, and I was disappointed monthly for seven years. And it's hard because you begin to think, God, where are you? Where are you? Are you even in this thing? And um, one of the things that, you know, Philip Yancey writes about so beautifully in all of his books, and one of them is Disappointment, Disappointed with God. And I read that book over and over and several of his others, Where is God When It Hurts, and several of his titles. And it, it boils down to these three areas when you're disappointed. Sometimes we think that either God is hidden or he's silent. It sure felt like that to me. Uh, for a long period of time, or we feel that he's unfair. And we joke in our family that my daughter and I got the unfair gene because we're so into justice for people. I, originally, I was going to be an attorney. I don't know if you know that. I went. I was, I was accepted at the University of Michigan. I was going to be a pre-law person because I'm so into justice and I want, I want the right thing to happen. And I have to watch myself because there's so many times when there's injustice, and I, I'm not talking about those times when we can work to fix problems that really need to be fixed. But sometimes it just feels like we were dealt a bad hand or we didn't, hmm. you know, we we were disappointed. It didn't seem fair. Why is that person getting the blessing and I'm not getting the blessing? Or why is that mm-hmm. person's, you know, we're, we're coming up on Valentine. Why did they find a partner and are married and I'm still sitting here single and desperately want to be married to a godly man or a godly woman. You know, where is God in this? It doesn't feel fair. And I think we have to be really careful to uh, not linger on those areas and to pull it back and to say, I just don't understand it. I don't have the full picture. I can't see how all this knits together. If I really, truly believe that my steps are ordered because I'm a righteous person, if I really, truly believe that God is in my life, and he's his holy living spirit is in me, then I've got to guard against those kinds of thoughts and really take them captive and make sure that I'm not living in that sort of resentment, bitterness, um, you know, kind of where are you? Now we have seasons like that, but we have to make sure we 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 get ourselves out of those seasons and we get focused again on the person who does have our life in his hands. And that um that final note in terms of recognizing that God is God and God is good. Um, when, when we are disappointed with God, when we, um, when we are living in that, in that place, that is really a spiritual issue. And you address that as well. What does it say mm-hmm. about me? What does it say about my perspective or my worldview or even my discipleship journey? If I am wallowing in a place where I am disappointed with God, yeah, I mean it's a it's a very 
natural human tendency, but again, it you it it really is best handled. And and this is what I had to do for seven years is to get deeply, deeply intimate with God. Now, maybe I mean I'm I'm sorry it took that for me to get to that point, but um, you know that's what I learned out of that is the deeper I get into a relationship with Jesus. The more I understand his character, the more I, the more I, um, you know, look at his faithfulness and his promises, and the more I stand in faith and I believe, um, the deeper that intimacy grows. And when you get intimate with somebody and you really, really know them, you can handle disappointments better because you trust that they've got your best. Just what you said, you trust that they're good and they've got your best in mind. And while you don't always see it at the time. You know, we can all do a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking where we're looking back and we're saying, oh, I see what came out of that that valley. I see what came out of that severe disappointment. I see how God grew me. I see how uh, God is using me now, using that experience to, to relate to other people, to build compassion, to have more empathy, to uh, be the hands and feet of Jesus. So it's in those valleys, unfortunately, is where we seem to really grow. And we, we really, we can't stay on that mountain top all the time. I was reading that in my um, Oswald Chambers. He he was making a point of the mountaintops are pretty brief and that God works with us in the valleys more often than not. So, you know, what is God doing with you during that time? And, and if you just fix your eyes on Jesus, and I know that sounds very cliched, but it's true. The more you fix yourself on a trusting, loving relationship, uh, the better you're going to be able to handle those disappointments when they come. That's so good. Um, Linda's got a ton of really great stuff posted um, on her blog. And so love to send you those direct links. If you're interested, you can get there from drlindamental.com. Today, we've been talking about ways to handle disappointment, but there's also a really good post this week on expressions of Valentine love. So um, uh, if you've got follow-up questions as well, I see those on the text line. I will pass them along to Linda and we will take those up um, uh, in a later conversation. In particular, Margaret, I see your question about dealing with the past or coming to terms with it. And I feel like we can certainly um, we can certainly address that in a follow-up conversation with Dr. Linda Mental. So Linda, as always, thank you so much. All right. Blessings. Yeah, likewise. How do you know um, these days if something is real? Like we live in this time of deep fakes. Um, maybe somebody has faked you out uh, recently with something. Maybe you've been scammed. Um, how do you know what is real? Like, did that really happen? Um, I want you to imagine you've been asked that question by a child, six or seven years old. Is that real? Did that really happen? They've seen something on the news They've seen something on your social media feed. Is that real? Did that really happen? And in a time of virtual reality and augmented reality and a world where people pretend to be things they are not, did that man really have a baby? How are we teaching our kids what is true truth and what is make-believe? How are we helping kids discern truth from the earliest of days? And how are we helping them to love the truth and want to pursue it? Elizabeth Urbanowitz is going to join us next from Foundation World Worldview, and we're going to talk about what is truth. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
All right, I've just been notified that in the Super Bowl last night, uh, Team Ruff beat Team Fluff in the Puppy Bowl. Apparently, this is something that I had missed uh, along along the way. And so there you go. For those of you who had been wondering about that, mm-hmm, that is the kid the kid part of last night's uh, Super Bowl that's worthy of reporting on. Elizabeth Urbanowitz is here from Foundation Worldview. Um, if you are not yet familiar with Foundation Worldview, um, it is a, a curriculum that is designed for you to make the truth known alongside your kids um, in a way that's biblically informed and absolutely, totally engaging. So Elizabeth is always bridging the gap for us between theological concepts and um, and the way that kids actually comprehend things. So I want you to check that out. Um, we are talking with her today about her children's book, What is Truth? Elizabeth, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for having me on again, Carmen. So um, introduce us to Sebastian and Greg. <laughs> yes, yeah, so Sebastian and Greg are uh, two very colorful characters that we have in our first picture book called What is Truth? Um, we wanted to create characters that kids felt like were friendly and that they could engage with because we want to make sure that everything we're doing in teaching them is both engaging and not that it's over-the-top fun, but it's something that they enjoy so that they get to to understand at an early age that tasting and seeing that the Lord is good is something that is so amazing. Um, why is it so hard for kids to discern truth today? And why does it matter that we help them do it? Yes. So, you know, we're all swimming in this cultural tide that has been, you know, brewing for the past 200 years that just progressively teaches us more and more that our subjective changing feelings are the most reliable guide to reality. You know, you watch any kids TV show or movie, it's all about follow your heart, speak your truth, stand up for what you believe in, you know, rather than teaching kids that there is some objective truths that sometimes our feelings point us to the truth and sometimes they do not. And we have to be careful about discerning them. And so it's so important that we combat this cultural tide that we're all swimming in so that we can prepare our children to understand the truth of who God is and how He has designed them and what His plans are for them. So it's so important that we ground them in this at an early age because everything in culture is just working against this. And if we are not actively combating this, you know, one day we're going to wake up and realize that our children have been believing this lie you know, for the past 5, 10, 15 years, and it's going to almost be too late, you know, to undo the work that culture has worked so hard to do. It's not just undoing um, the culture that's not telling our kids the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. I mean, Elizabeth, you and I know this, like, sometimes we participate in that. We tell our kids half-truths. Just, this is, uh, you know, this is maybe not a direct question related to your children's book, but it's just like critically important that we tell kids the truth. Yes, in an age-appropriate way, but can you talk with us just about the need for us today, maybe more importantly than ever, to actually tell kids the truth? 
Yes. Well, you know, as we've already talked about, you know, culture is preaching this lie about our subjective feelings being the best guide to reality. But we as Christians also know that because we're living on the side of Genesis 3, you know, we're fallen and we're broken and we're naturally drawn to things that do not align with who God is and how he has designed us. So it is vital that we are speaking the truth to our children so that they come to actually understand what is true and love what is true. And this, you know, this has to do with all aspects of life that sometimes we think, especially with little kids, oh, you know, they're too young to handle that. So we'll just tell them something that's not true. But it's so important for us to tell our kids the truth or else they're going to to think that we've lied to them. You know, I think of myself, I was a third grade teacher for a decade. And I used to tell my students that you could not begin a sentence with the conjunctions and or but, which really isn't true. You can start (laughs) sentences with that just so long as that's the dependent clause in the sentence. But I was just like, ah, you know, it's just easier for me to just tell them, you know, you can never start a sentence with and or but. And I actually had a few students come back to me when they were in junior high and they were like, Ms. Urbanos, you lied to us. You told us this wasn't possible, but it actually was. And I was like, you know, you, how can I explain this in a way, you know, that I'm not lying to my students? And so from then, then on out, I said, you know, in third grade, you do not know how to start a sentence with and or but. When you get older, you're going to learn how to do that. But right now, this year, we can't do that. And that was so much better because then I wasn't actually lying to my students. But in so many aspects of life, Sometimes we just think, oh, you know, if we just, we'll just tell like this little untruth, but they're just too old. To un- they're not old enough yet to understand the truth. But then when they grow up, they're going to think, oh my goodness, I've been lied to. And they're going to wonder if we've lied to them about bigger things such as God and salvation and scripture, you know, all of these things. So it's so important that even from the youngest of ages, we are presenting our children with what is true and speaking what is true. We're talking with Elizabeth Urbanowitz. She is um, responsible for Foundation Worldview. You can find them at foundationworldview.com. This is a curriculum that I highly recommend to you. She's joining us today to talk about a children's book that she has written featuring Sebastian and Greg. They are asking um, a big question, and that question is, what is truth? Um, let's talk about the process of discovery. It's one thing to just tell somebody the truth. It's another thing to walk along with them as they discover the truth. Talk about that process for kids and the importance of like adventure and discovery. Yes. Well, with the way that God has created little ones, you know, especially kids between the ages of three and nine, they just love learning. They love exploring the world around them. And so it's such a great opportunity for us to capitalize on this God-given curiosity that he's given children. And so, you know, rather than just sitting kids down and saying, you know, this is what truth is, and it's important that you follow the truth and, you know, giving them a lecture, what we do at Foundation Worldview is we try to engage the whole child. And so we engage their minds and their bodies and their emotions. And so what we do is we actually, in this book, we play a game with kids and we first introduce them to the concept that truth is what is real, you know, and we have them practice saying that loudly and quietly. And then after that, we engage them in a game where they're responsible for figuring out, you know, is this sentence that they've heard true or is it not true? And so we tell them that if they hear something that's true to spread out their arms as wide as they can and say true. And if they hear something that's not true to cross their arms like an X and say not true. And then we just have them involved in a bunch of different fun um, activities in the book. You know, we give them some truths 
um, you know, that are very clear, you know, like grass is usually green <laughs> and they can say things like, you know, they say true. And then we have them involved in some funny sentences that are not true, like puppies fly in the air or snow is very hot. But when we engage, you know, their minds and their bodies and their emotions, then they realize like, oh, I'm a part of this. This is something that's really important and they can enjoy it. So we're creating just this paradigm in their mind for them to always be thinking, hmm, what I heard, is that true or is that not true? In the true, not true, um, if you're wondering maybe how you could use last night's Super Bowl in this true and not true conversation, last night was the first night that Nickelodeon was present at the Super Bowl and covered the event um, on the Nickelodeon channel, but it was augmented reality. And so when a kid goes to a regular football game, it is not going to look um, like what they saw in the augmented reality version of Nickelodeon's presentation of, of yesterday's Super Bowl. Um, it might be a good opportunity for you to talk about what is real and what is not real and the number of things that they are going to see and experience, particularly through technology today, um, that breaks the, you know, just sort of breaks the connection between what we see with our eyes, what we hear with our ears, and what is really, really happening. Truth has never been more important in terms of teaching it um, to our children and helping them to discover how to discern it for themselves. That's what what is truth is all about. Um, what is truth by Elizabeth Urbanowitz. We're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. If you're a new listener, we want to officially welcome you with a free welcome pack gift. Request yours today at MyFaithRadio.com. Elizabeth Urbanowitz and um, Foundation Worldview are debuting a children's book, What is Truth? Um, you you should be checking it out, as well as everything that Elizabeth is doing in the Foundation Worldview curriculum, foundationworldview.com. Um, it's an interactive participatory discovery tool. It's not just a um, let me read this to you book. Um, and so it's going to help your little one come to understand what what is truth and why it matters? The big question um, broken down into little questions like, is grass really green, right? And they can respond to that positively. Um, and do, do puppies fly? Well, no, they can respond to that as well. And it will cultivate their ability to speak the truth and to recognize what is true in a world that is um, in, increasingly awash with information that is, in fact, not true. Um Elizabeth, can you can you talk with us about just that reality? Um, we we are living in a world where increasingly we cannot trust what our eyes see and we cannot trust what our ears hear. Um, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I mean, I it's it's getting harder as a parent to help kids navigate because they're swimming in water that's unfamiliar to me. Yeah, it can be very overwhelming. And just when we think, you know, even if we're careful about limiting the amount of time that our children are on screens and, you know, the amount of places that they go, in one year of our children's lives, they're going to receive more competing messages, more competing ideas than most humans throughout history 
have confronted in their entire lives. And so our role as parents can feel overwhelming because the world is changing rapidly and we don't have time, you know, just to sit down and figure out, okay, how do I prepare my child for this and this and this and this, when we don't even know what's coming down the pipeline next. And so while that can be overwhelming, we know that we have a God who is the King of the universe. And so rather than freaking out about every new thing that's coming down the pipeline and how are we going to prepare our kids for this, what we encourage parents to do here at Foundation Worldview is we say, if we can give our kids skills that can transfer into any and every situation that they encounter, they're going to be prepared for the things that we can't even anticipate are coming on the horizon, you know, six months, six years, six decades from now. And that's why we're so passionate about grounding children in the truth, because when we can equip them to understand what is true and to continually be asking themselves, hmm, what I heard, is that true? Is that not true? Is that just showing me someone's feelings? Then they're going to be prepared to evaluate these ideas that come their way. And we We've heard this from multiple people who have written into us at Foundation Worldview to, to let us know how these materials have impacted their children. And we've had moms write in before to tell us that their children have been confronted with transgenderism in the classroom, you know, something that they haven't even prepared them for at kindergarten or first grade. However, because they had this paradigm for asking themselves, hmm, is this true? Is this not true? Or is this just somebody telling me how they're feeling? They've been able to identify, oh, when this person who I know is a boy is telling me that they're girl, what they're doing is they're going along with their feelings and they're not actually following the truth of how they have been designed. So if we can ground them in these skills at a very young age and give them just this mental framework through which to classify every idea they encounter, we're going to be preparing them for situations that either we might not have directly prepared them for yet or situations we don't even know. We're not even aware that we need to prepare them for. So that's what I would encourage parents and grandparents and anyone who's listening who's working with children if we can give our children these transferable skills we're able to prepare them for almost any and every situation that they will encounter you know as they as they get a little bit older one of the things i have found helpful um, is to talk about truth as a person and i know you can't do this when they're super little because it's just a little just way too hard to understand so i think that this differentiating between feelings and truth this is foundational. It's absolutely essential. As they get a little bit older, I have found that um, talking about Jesus, the person, as truth. And so when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, what does it mean for truth to be a person? Because I can follow a person. And so personifying that for them um, has been helpful because they can they can think in a moment, okay, I'm, I'm going to actually choose to follow truth and truth as a person. I'm going to actually follow Jesus. I'm going to look for Jesus in the midst of this. And it has helped at least one of my kids. It has helped her differentiate um, as her friends and people around her, people at work, people at college have moved in the feelings directions, you know, uh, around a number of things. Um, she has been able to look for Jesus in the midst of it as, you know, as truth, as a person. And that has helped her know which way to go. Um, and so I think that, you know, the way that you talk with us about this in terms of the genuine developmental needs of a child, you know, as they grow over time, our approach to this changes, but it, the grounding is still there. 
the the differentiating between feelings and truth and recognizing that this person I'm talking with is following their feelings. I am going to follow the truth. Um, it's just so helpful. I completely agree with you there, Carmen. And it's really exciting, you know, when we ground our children in this way when they're young to be able to see the fruit that comes, you know, three, five, ten years down the road. Because rather than waiting until we realize, oh, there's a problem and, you know, the world has really been impacting my kids, if we can be proactive instead of reactive, you know, waiting until we see the fruit of what, you know, what the world has been teaching our children, it's so exciting to see the way that God can use this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, what's next? What What is going to follow on the heels of what is truth? Well, we're hoping to to write some more picture books. Um, actually, we've talked a little bit about during you know this half hour about differentiating the difference between something that is true or not true and something that's a feeling. So that's actually the next book that we're working on, uh, looking at our feelings truths. So helping kids discern Ooh. the difference between that. So we're doing that. And also our next upcoming curriculum we just got done filming is one for little ones for four to eight-year-olds, and it's called God's Good Design. Um, and it's going to be on the goodness of God's design for gender and marriage and family. So to really ground them in the truth at a young age on those things. Hey, you got to share that with um, Canavox. Do you know them? So um, I'm not familiar C-A-N-A- with them. Yeah, C-A-N-A-V-O-X. So all of their stuff right now, like, starts at middle school and goes up. But okay. they, so um, Canavox, like, giving voice to marriage in the culture today. Mm. And so this conversation about gender and marriage and family and God's good design for it, it's right up their alley. And they don't have anything that reaches down. You know what I mean? Like, they don't, they don't have mm-hmm. something to supplement their stuff for younger ages. And so might be a really, um, might be a good match for you. Oh, awesome. Thanks so much. I'll check them out. Yeah, you know me. Always just looking for, you know, my friends to be friends. <laughs> <laughs> Elizabeth, um, what a delight. Wonderful to catch up with you. Again, you guys ought to be using the Foundation Worldview curriculum. Um, you can do it as a homeschool thing. You can do it in your Sunday school. Um, you can do it as an after-school program. There's all kinds of places and spaces where you could use the Foundation Worldview curriculum. If you're a grandparent, it's really great because we didn't we didn't teach these things to our children, and now our children can't teach them to our grandchildren. And so um, if it skipped a generation in your family, then you can actually resolve that by using um, the Foundation Worldview curriculum in your own life with your little ones. Maybe they are your own little ones, or maybe they are the little ones of yours, like either way, right? Um, it's a great, it works great for Sunday school and um, and after school as well. So foundationworldview.com. Today, we've been actually talking about a picture book that's a part of this now as well. Elizabeth Urbanowitz is the author. What is Truth is the title. You'll meet Sebastian and Greg, and they are asking um, the big question, what is truth? Um, We're going to help our little ones discover it along with these characters as well. So last night at the Super Bowl, um, one of the ads, which somebody on the text line reminded me of, and I, I, yes, this is the other ad I should have mentioned. And it was actually an ad for the NFL itself. So the NFL is going global. Um, and And in this ad, there's a little boy. He is in Accra, which is in Ghana, in Africa. Um, and he he has a football. Now, an American football is just not something that is even known and certainly not played with in any organized way in Accra, Ghana. 
but he has dreams. He has the same kind of dreams that little little boys dream here in the United States of playing football. Um, and he's he's dreaming dreams of not only seeing those who are playing in in the Super Bowl, but dreams of playing catch with them and running with them. And that's happening. That's taking place through this, you know, vivid imagination in uh, in the market in Accra. And he's he's throwing the ball. And but these are imaginary characters. And obviously they disappear because they're not really there. And then a a a dog jumps up and catches the ball and runs with it. And so he chases the dog and the dog goes through this fence. And so the little boy follows. And on the other side of the fence is the NFL's outreach in Accra. And the scene um, that takes place is this, you know, very big uh, man, big enough to play in the NFL, kneeling down and having a conversation with this little boy. And at one point, the little boy reaches out a finger to touch him because he wanted to make sure he was real. Kids are looking for people who are real to substantiate their dreams and to help them run with them into those dreams. So be real today. Be Jesus with some flesh on out there in the world that he so loves. And recognize that kids are running around with dreams as big as the universe. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.